Well, good morning. As Pastor Tim said earlier, we are kicking off our Advent season this morning and starting a new series entitled Simple Gifts. Simple Gifts. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at gifts. Gifts like hope and peace and joy and love. But we're not just going to be coming up with abstract definitions for these words, but more specifically, really looking at how, how do these gifts that are available to us, how do we make them a part of our life in the day-to-day? How, how do we take advantage of the fact that these gifts are available to us every moment through Jesus? And here's what we're trying to do, the overall kind of theme, if you will, for simple Gifts As a church body together, we have very, very simple goal with simple gifts. And here it is. Slow down. That is our goal this Christmas season. Slow down. To slow down and be reminded of these simple gifts. These glorious gifts. Gifts that have been given to us as Christians to slow down and be refreshed by the hope, the peace, and the joy, and the love that's found in the Christmas story and in the gospel. Now, Pastor Tim says that, says exactly what I just said far more eloquently in the Advent devotional. So make sure you get a copy of that before you leave and read it. Uh, if you don't have one. But this morning, the gift that we're focusing on is the gift of hope. How do you define hope? What is your definition of hope? Think about that for a second. What is your definition of the word hope? Likely, it has something to do with a deep desire or longing to see something come to fruition. Most of the time, a good thing. To see this thing happen. To see it done. Maybe in your life, maybe in the lives of others around you. But if we're honest, we're really good at coming up with a definition of hope. The problem is, so many of us struggle to actually practice hope. So many of us struggle to actually practice hope. Let me give you an example. In 1994, this fantastic movie came out called The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if, you haven't, if you've ever seen it before, but if not, make sure you go watch it if you are age appropriate to do so. But uh, there's a character in the Shawshank Redemption named Andy Dufresne. It's played by Tim Robbins, who was in Top Gun. So there is reason enough to go see it. It has a connection with Top Gun. But the movie is essentially a story about how this guy named Andy was wrongfully imprisoned and what his life is in prison like, and he eventually escapes. Sorry, I spoiled it, but... In one of the most powerful scenes in the movie, Andy has just gotten out. He got sent to solitary confinement. The guys call it the hole for two weeks uh, for playing Mozart over the prison yard where all the prisoners could hear it. He gets sent to the hole for two weeks and he comes back and he's got this grin on his face. And he said, it was the easiest time I ever did. And he said, how in the world was it easy? And he said, well, I have Mr. Mozart to keep me company. And one of the guys asked him, he said, so they let you tote that record player down there, huh? And he said, no, 
He said, it was in here. And it was in here. He said, that's the beauty of music. They can't take that away from you. And he asked these, these, his fellow prisoners, he said, haven't you ever felt that way about music? And one of his friends, who's, his character's name is Red, it's played by Morgan Freeman, he says, well, I played a mean harmonica once, but I gave that up. It didn't make a whole lot of sense in here. And Andy looks at him and he says, well, in here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. And Morgan Freeman looks at him and he says, forget. Forget what? And he looks at him and he says, forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. There's something inside that they can't get to, that they can't touch, that's yours. And Red, Morgan Freeman looks at him and says, what are you talking about? He said, hope. Hope. And Morgan Freeman gets real serious real quick and he looks at me. He said, let me tell you something, my friend. He said, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. He said, it's got no use on the inside. And you better get used to it. Hope is a dangerous thing. Dangerous I see, I think one of the reasons that that scene resonates with us is, and is so powerful uh, is because we all can relate to it to some degree. Look, it's even biblical. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so we all know what it's like to have our desires crushed and our dreams crushed. And so often the way that we deal with the pain and the disappointment from that is the same way that, that red does, Right? You get burned, and what do you do? You start building walls, and you put up your facade, and you stiff arm, and you vow to never let it happen again. But here's the thing. As is always the case, as Christians, something that's really, really hard, like hope, is the exact same thing that we're called to do. In fact, this morning, the passage that we're going to look at, the Apostle Paul's prayer is that we would be filled and overflowing with hope, hope in God. So the problem for us then is how do we have hope when we've been so disappointed? How do we have hope when we've been so disappointed? Our passage of Scripture comes from Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 13. This is what Paul says. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May he add his blessing to it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, open our hearts 
and our hands and our minds and our eyes to see the hope that we have through you this morning. Would you change our hearts that we may be have, have a refreshed and renewed hope in you. In Christ's name, amen. How can we hope when we've been so disappointed? And as I mentioned earlier, isn't that the case in the Christian life? Right? That you hear what Paul says and he says, may you abound in hope. And your first response is, Psh. yeah, right. Right? Because life happens and it's hard. And, and so often in the Christian life, we, we have these lofty things that, that Paul is calling us to do. Jesus has called us to do. And we're like, this is impossible. And it's right, it is impossible on our own. But it's something that very clearly the Apostle Paul is calling us to do here. And so the first thing that we see about hope is that hope is critical to the Christian life. That hope is critical to the Christian life. You see that just in the sheer repetition of Paul using the word hope in the passage, right? You're all good Bible scholars, so anytime you see something repeated, you've got to go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. He's getting at something here. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope, not the God of love, not the God of peace, but who? The God of hope fill you so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And so you... You get this picture of a cup of water that's been left under the faucet. And the water's running into it. And as it fills up, it continues to just bubble over and flow over. And you get this idea that that is the, what our hope is to be like for the Christian life. This ever-present source that's welling up and spilling over into the lives of those around us. And that's the picture that Paul has. And then even before... Verse 13, Paul's talking about hope back in verse 4 of chapter 15. And he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instructions. So he's talking about God's word. And he says that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And then again, here in verse 12, Paul says, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So it is critical to the Christian life. Hope. But there's a massive question that we still have to answer, right? And that is hope in what? I mean, really, hope in what? Isaiah says it right here. In him will the Gentiles hope. Hope in Him. And so the second thing that we see from this passage this morning is that we have hope because of Jesus. We have hope only because of Jesus. Early in chapter 15, Paul, to give you the context here, he's, he's calling the church deeper into acceptance and love of each other. He says in, in verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So he's saying, be welcoming to one another, to God's glory. And so he moves on in verse 8, and he talks about how Jesus' life of servanthood should empower us to have this welcoming spirit. So he says, I tell you that Christ became a servant 
to the circumcised, so to the Jews. Why? To show God's truthfulness. To show that God is truthful, to show that he's faithful. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Jesus became a servant to show that God is truthful to the Jews. And so that the Jews will glorify God. But he also came to show mercy to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles would glorify God. And all those promises that are confirmed in Abraham. All that through you know, the promise to Abraham, your offspring... Through your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. And so God's plan of redemption has and always, is and always has been Jesus. So his servanthood provided the means for both Jews and Gentiles where they're united into one body and become followers of Christ. And so then in 9 through 12, Paul points back to four Old Testament passages and all of these are confirming God's universal scope of redemption and his universal, the, the universal inclusion of the Gentiles. And you go, now, why does this make any difference at all? I know that you theological pastors like to talk about that, but what difference does that make? A massive difference. Just bear with me for a second here. You look around this room, right? Uh, and a Gentile, by definition, is what? Not a Jew. Now, I don't know all of you. And I don't know all of your backgrounds. But my guess is, we don't have many Jews in here this morning. We do? Wonderful. We're glad you're here. Great. Let's talk. Uh, but that, my guess is that there's not many of you in here. Therefore, guess what? You're all Gentiles, unless you're a Jew. So what Paul is saying here is, is he's saying, guess what? And you think about the Jews, they were God's chosen ones, right? They were the people that God had given his word to, right, to the prophets. And yet from the beginning of time, he's saying, but it was always in the plan to include the Gentiles. And so what he's saying here is a resounding, we have no hope apart from Jesus. Therefore, it is only through Jesus. It is only because of Jesus that we have hope. He is our hope. Only hope that we have as Christians this morning is in the personal work of Jesus. He makes it very Paul makes it very clear. Think about Ephesians 2 12. Paul says, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were without hope, without a Without a chance. Without God is what Paul says. But he doesn't leave us there, does he? Because in verse 13, that same passage, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. James Boyce, who was a famous Presbyterian minister, said, Without God, our condition is literally, thoroughly, unmistakably, and unalterably hopeless. We are indeed without hope and without God in the world. Yet, as soon as we bring God into the picture, the situation is reversed. Now we have hope through the work of Jesus Christ because God himself is our hope and has given hope to us. He goes on to say, he says, nothing else can be that or do that. If you put your hope in other people, 
They will what? They'll let you down. You put your hope or your trust in stocks and bonds and bank accounts. You will find that they can disappear overnight. In any case, they're not ultimately satisfying. Help will fail. Houses can burn. Jobs can be lost. Even great nations enter periods of economic and moral decline. But the one who has his or her hope from God and trusts God as he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ can stand firm in anything. So let me ask you this question. Where is your hope this morning? Are you hoping in Jesus? Are you you banking on something else? See, I think so often we miss the concept right here. This is where we miss the concept of hope. Because you think about your definition of hope, that there is a sense in which it's some deep desire or longing to see something come about. And, and yes, that, that is true to a point. But in the New Testament, and especially right here, hope. Hope is not just wishful thinking. As one scholar put it, hope in the New Testament is confident expectation confident expectation Tim Keller says that the the Christian hope is certainty of God's future because of the cross that the future outcome is not based on what we have done but on what Christ has done for us and so there's a spiritual certainty but there's also a physical certainty right if you're a follower of Christ then you have a certainty a guarantee that you're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. Right? And so we have a physical certainty that comes and a physical hope that comes from being a follower of Christ. And that's good news this morning because it's not about us. It's about what Jesus has done and continues to do for us. You know, the beauty of this hope that we're talking about this morning is that it didn't start with us. The hope that we have is the same hope that's woven all throughout the thread of Scripture. Hope in a rescuer. You know, it's a hope that started, honestly, started back before time. But if you look at Scripture, this is a hope that starts in Genesis 3. You go, what kind of hope came out of Genesis 3? If you go back to Genesis 3 and you remember that's where everything good goes bad, right? But there is hope in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 15. God comes in and he's talking to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. NIV says, he shall crush your head. I like that. Crush. He shall crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And right there is where the hope begins. Hope that there's a rescuer coming. Hope that it's going to be born of a woman. Hope that it's a male. And hope that that while his heel will be struck, he's going to win. And he defeats death. And that's the hope that continued all throughout the Old Testament. God's people looking for the promised Messiah and God's faithfulness to them. Just imagine what it would have been like to have been a Jew in those days. You think, we have a hard time hoping. Waiting, hoping. Is it this guy? Nope, not him. Not him. Hoping, hoping, waiting. Right? And then you know, 
There's a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God's silent, but you're waiting and you're hoping. And then, boom, the silence is broken in Bethlehem. And the Messiah has come. And I think that's you know, one of my favorite Christmas hymns is, O Holy Night. The first verse says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. This is what gets me. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. It reminds us of that passage from Ephesians that we were separated, living in a world of sin and darkness, but enters Jesus and what? So we're long we lay in sin and air pining. And then enters Jesus, and what happens to us? The soul feels its worth. The thrill of hope, the thrill of certainty. A weary world rejoices. Our weary souls all of a sudden get to go, we have life in Christ. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. We have a hope. And a new day because we worship a God who will never leave us and never forsake us. And a God who makes promises and a God who keeps him. And that is the God that we serve. And that is the God that we have ultimate certainty in. And ultimate hope. And so again this morning the question for us is where is your hope? Is your hope in your bank account? Or some kind of special talent that you have? Your social status? Your family, your health, your job, the fact that you're a hard worker. Or is your hope in Jesus, in his word, in his promises, in the certainty of Christ and Christ's promises for you? You spend some time thinking about that this week and even this Advent season. Ask the Holy Spirit, you know, verse 13 says, abounding in hope. Hope comes from the Holy Spirit. And so ask the Holy Spirit to help you refocus your hope. Maybe you're here this morning and for the first time you realize you've never put your hope in Jesus at all. Well, I would encourage you to do that today. Please come talk to, to, to Pastor Tim or myself afterwards, one of our elders. We'd love to talk to you more about that. And maybe you're here and you're just overwhelmed with the disappointments and the frustrations and the pain of life. And you've been holding on to it and you've been shutting down and you've been building walls and putting up your facade and refusing to trust. And encouragement to you is take those to Jesus this morning in this Advent season. And we worship a Savior who says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Take those to Jesus this morning, this Advent season. Hope. I'm going to close with this. A hymn 
that you're all very familiar with, but asking ourselves and asking God, give us hope in you. Refocus on our hope. Close with a, a couple lines of the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And you probably all know it, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but what? Holy lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant and blood, support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, He then is all my what? Hope and stay.